Hi, I'm Jennifer Arezes, Vice President of Development at First Capital REIT and a member of the Women's Leadership Initiative, or WLI. I'm also a member of WLI's Championship Committee, which focuses on spotlighting influential women in Toronto real estate. I'm joined by my co-host, Megan Wong, Vice President of Development at Metrolinx, also a member of WLI and WLI's Championship Committee. On behalf of the Urban Land Institute's Toronto chapter, and in particular on behalf of WLI, I'm happy to welcome Lisa Prime and Laura Taylor to this WLI podcast. Last June, we organized a wonderful event at Stack Market, which celebrated the new 2022 champions and asked 10 of our past champions to facilitate discussion tables centered on career progression. Today, we continue this discussion with two WLI champions to share their insights. Each champion has a profile on the WLI website, which I encourage all listeners to check out. But to start things off, and in no particular order, Lisa and Laura, can you please introduce yourself, your current role, and perhaps the best piece of career advice you have received? So we'll start with Lisa and then move on to Laura. Hi, everyone. Lisa Prime here. Uh, My role is Chief Planner at the City of Cambridge. My experience has been through the public sector and private sector. So I worked on both sides and various projects through my career. And I would say the best piece of advice that I have been given is to, you know, focus on your passion and stick with one thing, perhaps, that you're most passionate about. Hi, it is so great to be able to join you on this podcast. My name is Laura Taylor, and I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change at York University. I do most of my teaching and mentoring in the planning program there. We have a graduate planning program, and many of our students go on to work in all sorts of areas related to land economics and in real estate. I also do consulting right now related to climate change because I like to keep one foot in the quote unquote real world and really get out and hear what people are talking about because that's a part of the the community that I really enjoy. So being a member of the Women's Leadership Institute is just the best thing because it's this great community of women who are in all kinds of aspects of the real estate industry and thinking about development. I just love it when we get together and have an opportunity to have great conversations. The best career advice, I think, is not being afraid to say, I don't know. I think as the consultants and as we become more senior in our roles, we often are hired or in the room because we're the experts. And every once in a while, you really don't know. And so being able to say, I don't know, but I will find out is some of the best career advice that I have received. I love that. And it's something I'm always reminding myself, but for some reason saying, I don't know, feels harder, the more you progress in your career. And it's great advice. I would suggest that I found it harder to say, I don't know something when I was younger than now. Interesting. As you progress more in your career, you have a much better sense of your own expertise. And so being able to say, I don't know, is you're not kind of giving up or you're not saying that, you know, you're not understanding something is that you actually know something about a lot of things and you actually don't know something about this particular thing. And I do think that maybe it's easier as you get older. It's interesting. 
it's a confidence thing too. That's part of it. in your own knowledge and owning what you know, to your point, Laura, what you know, and admitting when you don't know something. I always say, I look to my team to tell me what I don't know in some ways, but it is challenging to get there mentally. But once you do get there, I find it's very freeing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And to continue, we wanted to ask three questions today that we had featured at our event so that you can share these insights with the broader WLI community. So starting with Laura first and then Lisa, how have your values shaped your career decisions and how do they drive your career going forward? It's an interesting question because I think the values that you have shape the choices, both in terms of what it is that you choose to study in school, ultimately, and then what kinds of jobs appeal to you. So I have always been very interested in the landscape and how we fit into this larger world that we're born into, wherever we're born into it in the world, it gives us a really unique perspective about what that place is like. And my interest in how that world is shaped brought me to planning. I grew up in the suburbs of Ottawa, and we lived in a semi-detached home built in the 1960s with the big picture window that's so typical of suburban homes built at that time. You know, very modest house, but it looked out over farmer's fields. So I used to watch cows grazing when I was a kid, and we were looking out the window. I felt like we were in the countryside, and yet we were in the suburbs. And so when I got older, I realized that that road in front of my house was that line, the urban boundary between urban servicing, where there were schools, what the city of Ottawa took care of, and then the countryside, you know, designated rural area that was basically that area and waiting for development. So I think that whole perspective shaped everything that I did. I was attracted to planning because it was, you know, dealing with issues about how you intervene in, you know, conservation and development. And I had a classic suburban experience where, you know, until you could drive, you couldn't go anywhere you know, watched a lot of TV because I was stuck. So I've been very interested in the suburbs and how we go about talking about complete communities and all that today. So my career trajectory has been based on seeking to understand that more. And in terms of the real estate aspect, I ended up working at Hempson Consulting because they do population and population and demographic forecasting. And I was very interested in how we think about growth management because that's really affects what we think we can conserve and what we think we should build. And especially in this current moment in the province of Ontario, where the planning system seems to be ready to be shaken up and thinking about what's important, why we should conserve the green belt, how we balance that off against the need for affordable housing and all of those debates anyway, you know, folks like the folks that work at Hempson help with a lot of the um, information that we need to make decisions. So I was very interested in how that works. I became a professor because I had a family and I found it really difficult to be a full-time 
consultants. Council meetings are often at night. This was in the you know world before everything was on Zoom. I wonder if I'd make a different decision now. But I just found I was burning the candle at both ends and wanted to focus a bit more on my family and got into teaching that way. So that's that's where that's where I am right now. It's it's interesting just what you said about why you kind of chose to shift into teaching. And you'll hear in our previous podcast, there was a similar theme that having children changed a career trajectory as well, kind of pushed a different decision. And you know, in the end, maybe that was actually an opportunity, but it's such an interesting point for women or parents that there are these kind of forced changes and they could be for the better, but it's an interesting kind of pivot in your career. Yeah, it's very much the value proposition. And this is what I needed to do based on my values about wanting to be around the kids, not wanting to be exhausted all the time. And for me, that's what I needed to do to kind of pull back. And I I think if I hadn't have pulled back from consulting, I would probably still just be doing that full time because I enjoy it a lot. Because I pulled back, that gave me a little more room to start teaching courses, you know, just a course a term actually at the University of Toronto at the time. And then that got me interested in being a professor, which is a very flexible profession suited in some ways to, to family life. There's a, there's a ton of pressure in different ways, but definitely has suited me up until now. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Lisa, same question for you about values shaping your career. Yeah, great question. I would say that, you know, that underlying theme that I mentioned earlier for me is environmental planning, environment. I started my career in issues really more related to infrastructure and environmental assessment type public processes. So I think that probably does stem very much from my upbringing, which was in a smaller, more rural environment as well. So as I sort of think about some strong consistency of values that I feel through all of these, you know, frankly, controversial projects in a lot of cases that I really started my career on. I think being an authentic and really emphasizing sort of the integrity and the expectations that people have from you have been really a key aspect of how I've sort of tried to deliver myself or be available to people professionally. I think that is very much driven for me from my dad, actually, who worked in development as well. So I see a lot of that now as you get older, where I feel like those values are really strong. And that's what makes me able to, people know what they're going to get usually with me. I think in that other side of it, you know, when we get into urban development and the different things I've done throughout my career, although I do carry a very strong environmental sort of expectation, I feel strongly about the fact that I bring a lot of pragmatism to the table and a very solutions oriented sort of aspect of understanding issues and breaking things down. And it doesn't matter what I am working on. I think that is always what I'm looking for. I'm a big data driven person. I'm looking to understand what matters and sharing that in a very authentic way with whoever I'm dealing with. I think whether I'm dealing with developers or the public or anyone. That's the way that I approach things. You're not going to please everybody all the time, no matter what you do, but that's how I conduct myself. And I think that's how I've sort of worked through the various jobs that I've had. And that hopefully people can drive some good respect for you, for what you bring to the table, whether they like it or not. 
right? And that's kind of how I look at it. I agree. I just comment on the family aspect for sure that influences your career. And you never want to, as a woman, feel like, like, I don't think we do from a leadership perspective. We don't want to feel like we made decisions that we had to because of family, but you get torn by that, right? Because you ultimately do when you have kids. And I think what's important there is trying to find that balance with your partner to kind of try to achieve what you're looking for out of your career. For me, I think I've been lucky that my partner is also a planner, good or bad. It brings a huge understanding of what you have to do in your career. And I'm not advocating that people, you know, should marry another planner and that's the solution, but it's worked well for me and it's worked well for me to be able to advance my career and have that support and understanding of what I'm trying to do. And then for sure, you make some moves very specifically relative to your kids, I think, and being able to spend time with them. And I think that's a great thing you want to try to do to somewhat have it all, I guess, as best you can. Exactly. And I think there's obviously a myth to having it all. And and I'm sure you've heard you can have it all, but not at the same time. I feel that way in my own life. I have two young kids and some, some weeks or months I'm I'm all about the family life and trying to prioritize and other weeks I'm torn and I'm pulled in directions with my career. And you're right, Lisa, it, having that support from a partner is a game changer. I consider myself lucky to have that as well. So I guess building on that and, and having support from someone else, I'll jump into our next question, which is around mentorship and sponsorship. So I want to know how has mentorship and sponsorship helped you in your own career and how do you use that? to help others who might be coming up earlier in their career? I would say that I feel like it's like a lot of things with me. I'm a very somewhat organic. I think it kind of gets to some of the things you want to talk about in general and how I have sort of driven my whole career. And so I've never been big on having formal mentors myself, but I feel like I created those. And maybe that's what most people do. I've had cases where people sort of wanted formal mentorship, like wanted you to participate. And I've always been someone who's been a little, not really wanting that in a certain way. I wonder if that's not the best sort of way to do things and that if those opportunities are sort of directed to you, maybe you should embrace them more than I did. I chose to find my own mentorship route based on people that I strategically was focused on. And I've spent a lot of time through my career always figuring that out and changing that as you sort of progress in your career and seeking it out in more of an informal way and just wanting to bounce ideas off people or talk about opportunities or what do you think about this or that. So I think it's a great part of your growth. It's just a question of what works for individuals on how you find that. On another side, I'm totally strangely into wanting to mentor other people, but I feel like that has always been very organic too, whether it's staff that work for me or others that I meet or even just participating in things like this, right? And maybe as your career progresses too, you want to do more of that giving back. I certainly do a lot of board work and other volunteer work that I guess falls into that realm of I just want to give back more and apparently just have no free time, which is fine. It's just how hard you drive on where you're trying to go. So I think it's really important and provides a real good opportunity 
and individuals have to figure out how they want to do that. So I always try to make myself available. Certainly with my group in Cambridge, we're doing some leadership work together as a group. And I just lead some conversations and some meetings and things, but ultimately people have to seek things out from me. And I want to be open and available to anybody who wants to spend time with me or learn from me if I can possibly provide you something. Um, But I'm not someone who feels like it's a forced thing. Although I think those programs can work too. I wonder sometimes if maybe I had missed opportunities in my career because of that, but it's definitely to, to help figure out where you want to go and what you want to sort of focus on. Absolutely. And it sounds like you have a pretty robust mentorship experience, both mentoring yourself and providing that to others. So sounds like you didn't do too bad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm in the realm of never feeling like I have learned enough was always one of the things that I feel has driven my career progression. I remember a certain point, like I did my master's about eight years after my undergrad, I would always be in some kind of learning experience or wanting to go to conference things. And I remember a point, I think around when I finished my master's probably where I was like, I need to stop learning. Like, I think I know enough. I need to start just applying what I know. And maybe that insecurity issue too, we talked about in the very beginning about having confidence about what you know and don't know, right? And that's kind of what that was. And because as an environmental planner, you know, you felt like you had to know everything and impacts, like you had to have such an analytical approach to understanding how to find the right answer. And I realized, I don't think I need to do that anymore. I need to just apply now. But then that's when it changed. That's when you become seeking your mentors in a very different kind of way than just learning. And you might approach the mentor with a different confidence at that point too, or need them for some other reason. So that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. And Laura, I'm interested to hear about your mentorship and sponsorship journey. I was just sitting here thinking, oh, so Lisa, would you like to go for a coffee? Because we'd like to hear what you have to say. What a, you know, an amazing, open, generous way that you have about you. And I think that that makes for a good mentor kind of right there. I find it interesting thinking about mentorship and how that has played a role in my life. Because on the one hand, I think I have to really thank my mother, who was a lot older than I am. She's passed away now. But she was 42 years old when I was adopted, actually, but 42 years old. And so she was well on her way in in terms of her mid-career and, you know, understanding what it was like to be on the earth. So I think that that was enormously helpful. But both she and my older sister worked on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, and as a young person in the days before we had a lot of good structured daycare, I would take the bus downtown and meet my mom or meet my sister and kind of hang out in their offices on Parliament Hill, waiting until it was time to go home. And I got to see how everybody there, the staff, the politicians, people would come and go, and it didn't matter where they were in terms of what we would think today as, you know, different classes of people, different income levels, people who had been born into, you know, different kinds of situations, because I was hanging out with people who would identify themselves as secretaries back then. And this was back when you had a typing pool, you know, 
But I think through that, I became unafraid of approaching people because I thought that everyone was kind of essentially just like everybody else, in the, especially in the sense of uh, being able to approach somebody to say hi, or to walk up to somebody and say, hi, my name's Laura. You seem like you have a really interesting job or something like that, because I did it when I was a kid. So I feel very, very grateful for that. But in my position now as a professor and a mentor of the students who go through our faculty, I see that obviously not everybody is as comfortable with networking. And a lot of people have never been in situations where they have to self-advocate like that and be comfortable in going up to people who they have only heard about or those sorts of things. So I do spend a lot of my time now trying to identify, you know, kind of matchmaking. And I think that that's a really good role for me. For instance, I was just at the University of Waterloo alumni dinner this past week, and I was really trying to identify senior women and introduce some of my, you know, junior colleagues to them. And it's just as easy as saying, this is Jennifer, she works for, you know, and this is so, and even just being able to say hi and put a face to a name. I think that that's a good start. I think that the question of whether mentoring can be informal or formal is a really interesting one, because in my own life and my own career, I think the informal mentoring was so important to me where I befriended women who were, you know, ahead of me a little bit older than me in the career track and made a point of emailing them and saying, oh, it was so nice to, you know, meet you at the thing. And if you ever have a chance to, to do that kind of work and really follow them and see how they were coping with all of the demands that, that we have. I remember joking with folks about dragging your kids around in your car while you went to take site visit photos and doing that sort of thing. So definitely a way to do that. I think that the informal part is good because you see somebody and you get a vibe or you resonate with them a little bit. And it's really important to follow that up because we don't always have that. And then through the school, through our faculty, we have very formalized programs. We have a plan connector program, and I'm sure that plan is an acronym for something that's not planning, peer something. <laughs> it's a very formalized thing where we ask our alum to volunteer to be matched with current students. And there's a set of things that you're supposed to do, go for a coffee, talk about this, talk about that. So that's a very useful thing. And I think that people really like that. And yet it's sometimes hard for the students to volunteer themselves to do that. I don't know if they get, they get scared or don't want to do it, but it's so important, especially in this post-pandemic world where it is, I think, very difficult to meet people on Zoom compared to being able to go to all the social or professional social things that we've had a chance to do. And I think that that kind of mentorship makes a massive impact on people. And I also find that it's not just the student that's meeting with the mentor, it's a student and their buddy. It's like, can I bring so-and-so with me for coffee? And, and then you end up with a bit of a larger group. And I think that that's really super awesome as well. You both said so many really wonderful things. And I'm 
really happy this is recorded, but the two that are just jumping out for me, Lisa, you putting up your hand for, you know, our organic invitation is so wonderful. And it's something our committee has actually been talking a lot about. And that just saying that just paves the way for those organic relationships. So thank you for that. That's so powerful. And Laura, you just hit on my number one piece of advice for people who are starting networking, which is the buddy system. I was really uncomfortable with it. And I always brought a friend and I laugh about it, but I still like it. I'm like, Jen, do you want to go to an event with me? At least I'll know someone else. There's a comfort in that and it eases your way into a room. So I think those are such great nuggets that have been good for me personally. And I just want to jump in before we move on. Laura, I love what you mentioned about just the simple introductions at events or social gatherings of people to be generous with your own contacts that you've worked hard to build over the years is such an important and beautiful skill to have. I think not everyone uses that and it's easy. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to put two people together who you think might really hit it off. And that is in itself a form of really great mentorship. So I love that. I actually just want to jump in how strongly I feel the Women's Leadership Initiative provides for the opportunity for women to get together. I didn't say in the beginning, but I'm happy to be a 2014 champion member. And really, because it just started at that point, it was like, oh, what's this all about? Okay, right. And off we go. And at the same time, actually, I had joined Toronto Crew, Commercial Real Estate Women. When I joined crew, I did it entirely on my own because I wanted to network with women because my whole career has been largely more so in the earlier years than now um, with men, older men, some wonderful men that I worked with, but I really felt like I didn't know how to network with women. And I just went off on my own and you know what I'm going to, and I would go to crew events on my own. And I sometimes, cause you never know who shows up at any of our social things we do right with ULI or otherwise, and just trying to find someone to talk to. And that's a really bold thing to do that. I can't say I was super thrilled with some days when I would head off to some networking thing, but you find somebody to talk to. And then I've stayed in it and I've stayed with ULI as well. So eventually you build those relationships and you get to know people and it's amazing. So yeah, buddy systems are a good idea, but I think we all need to not be so reluctant to go on our own either because we are just a bunch of people who are doing the same thing, not knowing who to talk to, right? In a room. Anyway, I just want to say these initiatives are a really great opportunity for women to network. Yeah. You reminded me of something I've said before to my students, which is the only thing worse than networking is not networking because you don't want to be sitting there at your desk in whatever office you're in and be wondering what other people are doing. So many people have similar experiences in their offices and in trying to move up the ladder, ask for more money, figure out what kind of trajectories or career options are available to them. It's you know, only through getting out and talking to people that you can actually figure out how yeah. all that stuff is done. And the one thing that I think is interesting is that when I was more of a junior person, I didn't want to admit that I was a woman, right? I, I didn't want to acknowledge that I was the woman in the room. And truly, like I was often the only woman in the room. And I didn't want to admit it because I just wanted to be treated the same as everybody else. Yet, 
today I can see the absolute value of saying, I'm a woman, it's five o'clock, I have to leave right now because I am responsible for human beings who are going to be, you know, wondering where I am. And, you know, just saying it. And then not everybody should do that. Also that there are sociocultural things that women tend to share. I don't want to centralize anybody, but it, it, you know, we tend to share things. We tend to act in particular ways. And if all the lean in culture and all of that stuff, you know, articulates it better than I ever could, but it just really is that, that sort of thing. And I see a willingness for me to volunteer to do things or I'll take that person on, or I think it'll be less work for me to do that. Like, I'll just do it. It'll be less work than trying to get somebody else to. But I mean, that's ridiculous, right? That That's absolutely ridiculous. And I try to see that now. So acknowledging that I'm a woman in the environment that we're in has helped me a lot. That's really wonderful. And I think this is the perfect segue to our last question. And maybe Laura, we'll start with you because I think you're in the space right now, but at the outset of your career, how did you envision it progressing? I think we've touched on it a bit, but you know, linear, spiral, organic, and how has it really played out compared to your expectations? I think the question is indicative of the way that we see things differently because at the outset of my career, I had no clue. I had absolutely no clue. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an idea about where I wanted to be. And yet I know that many people are very organized and they're like, I'm going to do an undergraduate degree and then I'm going to work for a while in this or that kind of firm to learn this or that kind of thing. And then I'm going to move over to this other thing. And they have a very definite idea or, you know, I want to do making this amount of money by this age and, or, or something like that. They have very particular ideas. I didn't, I'm not going to lie. I still kind of make things up as I go along. I pay a lot of attention to my gut and where I find myself attracted to something that's going on. I realize that I have a deep interest in something and I keep going back to it and I try to honor that and to follow that. You know, my mom would say you make your own luck by working. So I've always worked hard. If I've committed to something, then I work hard and I don't want to let anybody else down, I guess. There's the other, you know, let anybody else down, let myself down in in that particular role. But thinking about my career as linear, no. Thinking of it as a spiral, hmm. I mean, definitely a spiral up where there's many different ways that I could have gotten to where I am and who knows what's next. I'm not entirely sure. So I guess I am more of an organic person which shouldn't surprise you coming from the Faculty of Environmental and Urban Change. So I think that that is where I sit in, in terms of that. And yet, clearly, my expectation was to be able to support myself. I think at the, at the bottom, that is the thing, is I wanted to make enough money to be independent. And that's always really been my goal. I mean, I'm married, I have a partner, and... Certainly the two incomes together are enormously helpful, but I still just have this need to want to make sure that I can do it on my own. So that is really how it's played out according to my expectations. Yes, I 
can support myself. Thank you. So it's a good thing. And I sound like I'm making a joke about it, but I'm actually super serious about this. That resonates yeah. with me a hundred percent. I've always had that mentality myself and I was brought up that way. I think it's probably instilled in us from childhood, which is just because you're a woman or a girl, you need to make sure you can stand on your own two feet and not rely on someone else. Right. So I love that. Lisa, what about you? Yeah, I agree. Independence was a big driver in the beginning of my career. My parents both are immigrants and neither of them went to any kind of higher level of education, but my dad was very much an entrepreneur and did quite well in that way. I think for me, going to school had a lot of uncertainty. There was nobody at home telling me, here's what this is all about and here's what you have to do. It was more like, go figure out your life. Just like my dad came here at 16 entirely on his own. So I went out into my education with uncertainty about what that was gonna be, but a big expectation that I was gonna figure this out and do my own thing which had nothing to do with whether you're going to get married or not. It was just like you said, Laura, be able to support yourself and do. And I would say that the way my career progressed was a combination of like thoughtfulness and luck. Like you said, that is partly what happens, right? I knew what my passion was. I graduated actually 92. So a bit of a recession time. There were no jobs. Very lucky to get contract work. For me, very lucky to get some really interesting contract work, ironically, on planning reform with the province and the provincial facilitator's office. So I kind of, you know, know how some of that works. And I like doing strategic things and things that are change in general, I'll say. But that contract work sort of was an environment of uncertainty, right? And I'll tell you an interesting story. In a brief period between contracts after I left the province, I ended up in contract work for the crown attorney in the province and who eventually offered me a job, a permanent job. And I was faced with my career now can entirely change. I thought I was doing this planning stuff. And now I'm sitting here in the crown attorney's office doing criminal law like supporting, right? But I, you know, I did a little bit of political science work and whatnot at university. So certainly it was interesting and had lots of uncertainty, which has been a big driver and was a big driver in my master's work. But I ultimately came to a point of, okay, I could accept this job. And then I got offered a permanent position in a municipality. So I'm going to go do that because that's what I was, you know, intending on doing so a little bit of a linear you know I want to go here um, as opposed to doing some but I love that job and I love the crown attorney that I worked for and I think I've always had that big passion of what I'm trying to do but also on who I'm working for has been a big part of what interests me and has been a big driver in the jobs that I've taken on but there was very much a strategic moves for me between different jobs when I moved from municipality to work in consulting And a very much, like I said earlier, some organic alignment with people that really were informal mentors to me. I ended up in consulting after seeking some advice from one of the lawyers and McCarthy Tetro that I work closely with on some of my work around, you know, what should I do next? Those kinds of conversations or not that I needed a next, but just those conversations about career. And it's like, here, you know, why don't you go talk to these guys type of thing? So little pushes that help open doors sometimes, 
Um, and then getting to work on really cool projects sometimes when you end up in these places is part of the luck. And also it must be a little bit of my pragmatism and my abilities that helps get you into those really exciting projects as well. But definitely a little bit of a combination of organic, don't really know, but looking to do something next, taking a bit of a leap, uh, asking some advice that sort of thing. So being asked to consider different positions. I remember when I moved from, I was actually briefly at the Conservation Authority when I moved to my role at Waterfront Toronto to work with John Campbell. And uh, I hadn't been long at the Conservation Authority when I made that move. I'd just come off the Waterfront Project as a consultant of many years. And to be honest, I was somewhat happy with a bit of a break. But then, hey, this is a really interesting opportunity. This is something brings lots of newness and, and change and uh, opportunity to make things different from a policy perspective and from an implementation perspective. So you kind of make those moves, right? You take those chances. And the good part about that job that I loved is I loved working with Brian Denny, the CAO at that TRCA, building the river and figuring out the approvals for the Don River mouth was a big part of the work that I did at Waterfront Toronto. So it gave me a chance to work with two CAOs that I really felt strongly about still, even though I didn't work directly for him. So finding some interesting ways to work with leadership you really like to work with and, and still move around is interesting. And then next thing you wonder, where'd all these years go? You know, I didn't have big expectations. So to say, did it play out to your expectations? The independence part, for sure. When you think back to those very beginning things and like that Laura said, yeah, I think it played out quite well for me to take my passion and drive and turn that into something that allowed me to have a career with independence. And then a bit of luck that got me to work on some really cool stuff from my perspective that, that was interesting. And then we just continued to move on. But I left the waterfront to work independently as a consultant of my own practice because I wanted to take all those things that I knew really well and, and focus on what I wanted to focus on and leverage what I had to offer broadly. And that worked out quite well for me because I didn't want to be, and I guess this is part of that career advice, right? I didn't want to be, you know, pigeonholed into just doing one thing or having to do certain things that maybe wasn't what I, what lined well with, with my ultimate value system. And maybe some of that is partly why you make those decisions to leave at certain points, right? Like maybe I don't want to be told certain things about certain projects or whatever. So now I'm going to go work on this passion or that passion. So that's part of what pushes you around a bit in my experience, but then taking on my ability to pick the projects I worked on in a way through my own practice has, was like ideal and I loved it. You continue to get opportunities now, as I said before, I'm at the city of Cambridge and um, I love my position with the city. I love the young dynamic leadership team at the city. And again, those are parts of the things that make me want to work in places. It's like, who are you working with and what are we working on? And for me, bringing those things together is a really important part of, of what, it, what it's all about. That's wonderful. I think asking the questions, what's next and, and networking with people who might be doing something different than you are doing currently opens so many doors yeah. and things that you may not have even considered as that's really interesting.
Well, that wraps up our questions for today. And we really wanted to thank you both for joining us. I think it was a great discussion, very insightful. And thank you.